Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone, welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 205 of the world's greatest podcast with the name Red Leg Nation in the title. I'm Chad Dotson with me again this week, my friend and yours, the guy who is responsible for all the wonderful Things that are happening at RedsMinorLeagues.com. Doug Gray. How are you today, Doug? I'm pretty good, but I also want to point out I'm also responsible for all of the bad things that are happening over at RedsMinorLeagues.com. I don't want to get people confused. <laughs> well, now listen. If there were to ha- be bad things that happen over there, you would be responsible for them, but it's all wonderful now. There's nothing, okay, okay. nothing bad I'll, to I'll, say. I'll accept that. I will <laughs> accept that. There you go. Here's my question to you this week, Doug Gray. And we're going to get into some what's going on in the minor leagues a little bit some here uh, later, but we want to start with the the big league club. And are you as just pumped up as I am about the Jim Riggleman era? I mean, I, yeah, there was some uh, excitement in your voice there, so I'm going to say no. I'm not quite <laughs> as pumped up as you are, but I, I, I'd be lying if I said that I weren't ready for a change. Um, you know, I, nothing against Brian Price, but he seemed like he was doing a lot of things that I, I just did not understand and I disagreed with. And I mean, it's only been what a week now, but I, I like some of the things that I've seen Jim Riggleman do. And uh, so I, I'm not, I'm not upset about it. And I'm hoping that Riggleman can kind of follow more along the plan, so to speak of, of what it seems the front office kind of wanted Brian Price to do when he just wasn't. Well, I don't have very high hopes for, for Jim Riggleman. He's sort of an old school guy himself. And you know, he's not the savior of this franchise. And and frankly, Brian Price wasn't everything, as we've talked about uh, many times, wasn't everything that was wrong with this organization either. I was ready for a change. I think when uh, when Price and the Reds sort of lost you and I, they were really, uh, I think you said that one night when we were talking, when they've lost us, they've really lost us. And so, I, But I don't expect much out of Riggleman. Uh, you know, I think he's been playing Blandino a little more, and that makes you wonder whether there was some disconnect between the front office and Brian Price. But on the other hand, he's batting Shebler seventh and Jose Peraza second. So, I mean, let's not... Let's not let our expectations get too high, I guess. Yeah, I think that generally speaking, your 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 lineup is going to be your lineup. And unfortunately, it seems that probably still 70% of managers in baseball would continue to bat those fast guys up at the top just because, well, speed. Yeah. And I mean, I'd, it, it seems that everybody except for the people qualified to get those jobs in Major League Baseball understand how dumb that is. But here we are. Here we are. I guess so. But, you know, uh, certainly Alex Blandino has played uh, a little more often, and he's been producing, which is fun to see. Um, but although now, Eugenio Suarez is back. Does that uh, – the Reds have shown a little bit of life on the offense, and it was going to get better anyway. But now we've got Shebler and Suarez back full. That really, to me, changes the way this lineup looks. And they're liable to continue producing much better than they had. And Riggleman may get the credit for that, but that would have happened whether Riggleman's here or Price was here. But – but I do think it's gonna it's it's gonna happen, don't you? Yeah, and I, you know I think that you can see the pieces too. You know, you've got Shebler, you've got Jesse Winker. Obviously, you've got Joey Votto who hit his third home run in his third game uh, in the past three days. So it's it's very nice to see Joey Votto kind of showing that power again after having one double for the first three weeks of the season. Um, you know, Tucker Barnhart, he's a solid hitter. Um, I mean, it, if you if you really want to look at it, I mean, you've still got Jose Peraza and Billy Hamilton in the lineup. And then you've got your pitcher spot. But I think the other six spots 
are generally going to produce. And I, I think that we're starting to see them come around. Um, you know, I, I would still love to see them figure out at least how uh, another way to fill out one of the spots between Hamilton and Peraza. Um, and I don't have too much faith in that happening anytime soon. But Not me um, yeah, I, it, as you said, the offense it, it was gonna it was bound to come around either way. I think that we're starting to see that now, and uh, hopefully. It, it just makes for less miserable baseball because it was bad enough that the record was what it was. I mean, but it was painful to watch night in and night out just because the offense could not do anything. No, oh, just embarrassingly bad. And, you know, before the season, I, I thought that the offense, if it could be roughly equal to what it was last year and, uh, you know, if the, the pitching, which has not been great, but I've been encouraged by some of the pitching. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I felt like if those two things just sort of developed the way I saw them developing, we'd be in good shape. The third thing was that the front office, I thought this would be the year when they'd start putting the best 25 guys in the organization on the field, and clearly that didn't happen. But uh, but I didn't think the offense had a – maybe it wasn't going to improve probably without uh, Cozart in the lineup, but I thought it could be roughly somewhere in the same neighborhood. It's a pretty good offense uh, when it's doing that. And, and I think we're on our way to seeing that. And a big reason why – you're right, we've got two black holes in the lineup uh, – many days in Billy Hamilton and Jose Peraza. But adding Jesse Winker to this lineup has just been a revelation. He, and he's been everything that we could hope for uh, as, as guys that have watched him develop through the years and, and seen the type of player he's become. And it just wears me out that he's batting 323 with a 449 on base percentage. And yet he has fewer at-bats than Billy Hamilton or Adam Duvall. Now, Doug, <laughs> come on. Adam Duvall is hitting 163. Billy Hamilton is hitting 178. Come on. What's that all about? I, I wish I had an answer for you. I mean, really, is there I, any I, I justification don't... whatsoever for the front office not saying Jesse Winker needs to be in there every day cause over Blue, Hamilton or Duvall? Well, I mean, I, the Hamilton thing I, I get because I – I understand that you can play Scott Shebler in center True. field some days, but it, I, in my mind, I don't look at it as Jesse Winker versus Billy Hamilton I, I, because I they agree. don't play the same position. But Adam Duvall should not have more trips to the plate than Jesse Winker. Like There's there's no excuse for that, um, especially considering how he's hit this season. I mean, the last two seasons, Adam Duvall's broken down in the second half, and you know, fairly or unfairly, if it's related to his, his diabetes or whatever it happens to be, uh, I mean, it still has happened, and I mean, he basically hasn't hit in four months in terms of baseball months, yeah. and yeah, here we are, a guy who's, I mean, Jesse Winker's got more walks than strikeouts right now. He's hitting three twenty three, and some days he's still sitting for Adam Duvall, and I just, I don't, I, I can't make sense of it, Chad. I, I really can't. It's really just, it's. It, it boggles the mind. Duvall's getting ready to turn 30. And it's one thing if Duvall's hammering the ball. But like you said, he hasn't done that since the first half of last year. We all like Adam Duvall. Plays good defense in left field. Uh, you know, works hard. No no issues with the guy. Um, had had a good run as a red here. But he's getting ready to be 30. And if he's not hitting, I, there's no justification. I guess I could see you're trying to win games in the major league level and you got a 29-year-old getting to be, turn, ready to be 30 and uh, you play him over a 24-year-old because you think it helps you win games. But there, there's really no justification for that here because Winker's hitting so well and Duvall's hitting so poorly. Um, and ha- continue, It's not like it's the first time we've seen Duvall hit poorly. It's been a long time since we've seen him hit. He really looks just really bad right now. So I just it, it 
makes no sense to me. Billy Hamilton is a different uh, category, as you said. And uh, I'm going to tell you something. I'm actually a little encouraged by what we've seen from Billy Hamilton so far this year. If you're, of course, now I'm, you know, I'm Billy Hamilton's biggest fan. But um, am, am I crazy to say that I've that there are good signs with Billy Hamilton at the plate, considering he's batting I, 178? I mean, I I'll I'll go on record and say that yes, you are. And I understand that Billy Hamilton's walk rate is up. Uh, he's walking 12% of the time this year, but he's also striking out 33% of the time this year. That's a problem. I mean, that's that's not going to be... Billy Hamilton was never a high contact rate guy, but he's striking out like... And I hate to say this because I'm, I'm actually... I thought Adam Dunn was a, a, a fine hitter, but he's striking out like Adam Dunn, but he's hitting for power like Chad Dotson. So <laughs> that's that's not really a good situation. You're right. You're right. But But what I look at is... I, mean, I can't argue about any of that. Um, number one, you just about have to play him in center field defensively. I mean, Shebler, you can spot him some places maybe in, uh, at some points, but he's pretty brutal out there. And I like Shebler, good athlete. But he, it, there's a stark difference between Hamilton and Shebler defensively. Uh, to, to be fair, I think there's a stark difference between Billy Hamilton and a lot of guys uh, defensively. Yes. I mean, that, that's how Absolutely. good he is. But, yes, it, it, it is a massive downgrade to go from – Billy Hamilton to Scott Shebler. Yeah, that's that. That's not necessarily a criticism of Scott Shebler. Hamilton's that good. But, you know, I look at this team, and Votto and Winker, you've heard of those guys, Joey Votto and Jesse Winker, they're tied for the team lead in walks so far. Who's second? Or third, I guess, but who's right after Votto and Winker? Billy Hamilton. You know, his on-base percentage is, let me look at it here again, uh, his on-base percentage is 105 points higher than his batting average. So, um, and that that walk rate is, it's way up, 12, 12.5% basically right now. Obviously, the strikeouts are a huge problem, and obviously this is a small sample size thing. And, and you know, uh, there's any number of reasons why we don't want to say Billy Hamilton is a different hitter after, you know, 87 plate appearances or whatever it is. But, you know, uh, talk all spring about him working on his approach to the play, learning the strike zone a little better, and he did walk more in spring training, even though he didn't hit. He's walking more now. Of course, he's still not hitting. So if if he can't get that batting average back up to you know two fifty two sixty, and then uh, you know, it, but if he can get the batting average up where it was before, and he really is seeing the ball better, getting on, you know, drawing more walks, it's not just a fluke. Then all of a sudden you got a guy that's maybe a three thirty on base percentage, and Billy Hamilton with a three thirty on base percentage is a you can have him in the lineup. Okay, well I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to warn everybody right now. I'm going to get a little bit nerdy on you, but I'm looking at fan graphs right now, and they break down you know, what, what percentage guys swing at, pitches in the zone, out of the zone, all of that stuff. Basically, Billy Hamilton's not doing anything different from last year other than about. swinging at strikes more and missing them. Like He's just prolonging at bats because he's swinging and missing in the strike zone more this year than he has in the past. He's not swinging at pitches out of the zone more or less than he was. Uh, he's not really swinging at pitches in the zone more or less than he was. He's just swinging and missing more in the strike zone, which is prolonging at bats that he was having. And you know, I guess it it's leading to more balls being thrown. And I mean, you you do see that sometimes. If you're not making contact earlier in the count, it gives you the opportunity to see more pitches. And you know, pitchers are good, but they're not perfect. They're they're going to miss the strike zone sometimes. And but, I I think that just looking at these numbers, that that's what it looks like to me. He's just making less contact when he does swing the bat. Okay, well, you know, let's say, though, that that's happening. 
Um, that that's something that he's trying to do. He's swinging at more pitches in the zone. I don't know what his approach is, but that's a that's a real difference. If he starts squaring those balls up, then all of a sudden it's a different player. I mean, his you know well, his batting is he, far below what it usually is this year. But he's not swinging more at pitches in the zone. He's just swinging and missing more. He is in now. Yeah. But what if he can turn some of those into contact? His BABIP is is really low. So if if he can turn more of those into contact and then his uh, batting average on balls and play uh, eventually on the ones he does make contact and goes up a little bit higher, all of a sudden, listen, I'm trying to rationalize to reasons to keep Billy Hamilton in a Reds uniform. You know what I'm doing here, Doug. I, 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 I hear you. <laughs> I'm just not being convinced at all. No, and I don't expect you to be. Um, this is uh, That's sort of the rosy view of Billy Hamilton. Uh, yes, he is third on the team in walks, but okay, he's uh, you know hitting 178 or whatever it is now. Um, actually, down to see, I've got it pulled up here. After today's games, he's at 171. So, um, so anyway, yeah, I'm clearly just trying to figure out reasons to be optimistic um, because his defense is so good. The other, the flip side is going to be the problem with this offense has been it's really hard to hold. Uh, both Parazza and Hamilton in the lineup to keep both those in there at the same time because they've both been sort of sinkholes. What do we make of Jose Parazza so far this year? Do you have you? We've not seen a ton of him, just twenty-four games. But have you drawn any conclusions, or are you changing your mind about him, or are you? What are your thoughts about Jose Parazza? I mean, it, it comes down to one thing with Jose Parazza. He's got to walk more. I mean, that that it's as simple as that. I think that we've all seen that he makes a ton of contact, which generally that's a good thing. You want it. You want to put the bat on the ball. He does that. But when you walk two times every 100 times you go to the plate, that doesn't work. That's never worked. Or, well, I guess that hasn't worked since the dead ball era. Um, I mean, you just you just can't be that kind of hitter. I mean, there's absolutely no power there. And you can be a good hitter without power. We've seen guys that do that now. You're not, not going to be a great hitter without any power. But he needs to walk probably three or four times as often as he does right now. And until he does... He's going to be a problem when the, on the offense. I mean, it, it, it's, it's that simple. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, you and I talked a little bit uh, in the off season and the second half of last season about uh, Parazza and about the you know sort of well publicized changes he made to his approach in the second half of last year and how he did. You know, he had a three thirty plus on base percentage in the second half and and all the discussion was if if that's real, if that's a real gain that he's made then he becomes a there's a possibility he could be a a valuable player um he's you know he is squaring the ball up some this year and he does make contact you're right but yeah i'm not seeing any of the things we saw at the end of last season that may have just been more of a small sample size fluke um because i'm just not seeing much patience at all only drawn a couple walks this year um now the other side of that is we talk about hamilton but i've been extremely impressed with the progress Peraz has made with the glove at shortstop, he looked he looked rough early in the season, but I don't know. He's making all the plays and some that you don't expect him to make now. Am I just seeing things? Is that a, a sort of a, you know, you can, can't really you don't need to judge uh, use the eye test for defense, but my eye test is saying good things about Peraza. I I do my best to try and avoid using the eye test on television because you you don't see the first couple of steps on any play. And I, I haven't been to a game in person, so I'm just going to hold off on that one. And I'll just say Chad can say what he's going to say. I I don't I don't know. I don't have enough information on it. Yeah, well, I'm I'm clearly I don't expect anyone to uh, take my word on that because <laughs> it is just well, watching. You, you aren't you're not a paid scout for the Reds. <laughs> no, I am not not yet, but not yet. Okay, I, well, I, I, I like the optimism at least. <laughs> I've only been down to the ballpark a couple times, so I can't say that 
Um, really, even my eye test is saying much, but it just he looks a lot more sure. Yeah, he just turned 24. I mean, he's still young. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to give up on that guy because he's so young, but at some point he's going to have to start having a little bit better command of the strike zone and being more effective offensively, or they just can't can't keep him yeah. there. The flip side is they don't have anybody to replace him, do they? No, they really don't, and I think that's that's a problem. Um, I, I I harped on that all off season that I can't believe that they're going to go into the season with Jose Peraza literally being the only guy in the yeah. entire organization in full season baseball that is. I mean, he's the, he's literally the only option. It's one thing Everybody, if we're talking about Barry Larkin, but we're talking about Jose Peraza. Yeah, I mean, he was the only guy, or there there wasn't a guy in the entire organization that came back this year that OPSed over six hundred. As a shortstop, yeah, like how, like wow. between That's... Dayton and Louisville, like that, there was no one, and they didn't bring in anybody to play shortstop. Yeah, I don't, I don't, it was, it was weird. But uh, what's another example of this front office? Yeah, you know, they sat on their hands all off season. And we were all like, well, okay, you know, I guess I, I can see that they think there's another year, and maybe they're just gonna give the young kids a chance and whatever. But man, that's another example of the guy they go out and get is Cliff Pennington. To back him up, who uh, he's been optioned to AAA now. Who's just, you know, he's not good. These are the guys mean, that the front office. You mean starting third baseman last week five times? Cliff Pennington is no longer good enough to even be in the major leagues. How, funny how that works. Brian Price thought he was the best uh, option he had to start at third base. Literally, I mean, after Suarez got hurt, he started more at third base than anyone else, and now he's in AAA for some reason. Again, that's another indication that maybe there was a disconnect between Price and the front office. But the other side is the front office provided Cliff Pennington to Brian Price. You don't give Cliff Pennington and Phil Goslin to Brian Price because he's going to play them. You don't give Giovanni Gallardo to Brian Price because he's going to pitch him. And that's on the front office for not going out. and if, if this front office had opened up the checkbook and had signed a starting pitcher, signed another relief pitcher, and gone out and trade, or not just signed for uh a starting pitcher, maybe traded for one, acquired a starting pitcher, you know, not even an ace, but another decent starting pitcher that had some proven uh, ability on the big league level or was at least close to the point where he could contribute to the big league level. If they'd gotten out, gone out and gotten a shortstop and a reliever, if they'd done those three things, this team right now is over 500. That's what I'm saying. I, I don't know if that's true or not. But they'd be they'd, they'd be at least close to five hundred. They'd be better. I, they'd be substantially they'd definitely better. Definitely be significantly better. Yes. And um, now I, I'm going to go a little bit off script here. And for the record, we didn't have a script for this one. But <laughs> did you see the article from Paul Doherty interviewing Bob Castellini yesterday? I did. I did. I didn't get any uh, warm fuzzy feelings from it. Now, I, for those who didn't, uh, I, I, I highly recommend you go check out the article at the Cincinnati Enquirer. Uh, but Paul Doherty interviewed Bob Castellini, and you know this goes back to what Chad was just talking about, and just kind of the front office and giving giving Brian Price players, and just the the disconnect with the front office and what's going on on the field. And you know, one of the things Bob Castellini says is that he doesn't meddle in baseball decisions, but then he also came in and said that you know he'll go into meetings and say that you know this is what I think <laughs> we should do. I don't if I don't get a lot of opposition, then that's the decision we're going to make. All right. Well, I, I look. I I don't own a company worth a billion dollars, but if I did, I feel like if I were to say I want this to happen, 
and I'm the guy that's signing the checks, then unless it's literally the worst idea and we're all going to, like, die from it, it, I would expect people to say, yeah, that's a good idea, boss. Yeah. Um, he shouldn't even I, be in I, on those meetings until it comes time to, for him to have to cut a check. I, I agree 100%. And I understand that in other organizations and pro sports, like the owners, they, they, they come in and they have their say. This isn't a Bob Castellini thing. A lot of owners do this. That's absolutely true. But it just doesn't it, – it's a bad thing. Well, and the other thing is, you know, you mentioned – go out and get a shortstop. He mentioned that he wanted to bring Zach Cozart back, but he couldn't afford to. Now, I wouldn't have brought Zach Cozart back. No. I, I, I don't think that it made sense from the money standpoint given where this team is. But the owner of the team with one of the lowest payrolls in baseball said he couldn't afford a, what, a relatively cheap contract that Zach Cozart signed. Now, maybe – Zach Cozart was willing to talk to the Reds, and they would have had to offer him significantly more money than the Angels. Zach Cozart didn't exactly have the nicest things to say about the Reds when he left. Uh, he didn't believe that they were trying to win. It didn't really sound like he wanted to come back. So maybe it would have taken more than three years, $42 million that he wound up getting. But in terms of where we're at in baseball right now, that's chump change. And if you can't afford that, what are we doing? Yeah, we're spinning our wheels. And, and, and it, well, first of all, okay, he said he couldn't. He didn't get involved, and he did get involved in the Cozart deal. He also, though, said about Billy Hamilton, you know, he wants that guy to stick around. And he also said that he held up the – he didn't want Todd Frazier traded, for example, after the home run derby. He let the cinnamon he, – he wouldn't let him them trade him, you know. He said in that article that, yeah, that, you know, we, I, maybe, maybe it was a mistake, but that's what I did. So, you know, um, I think that brings us to sort of the, the larger – point, which we really probably should have led with here. You've gone off script, but this is really what's uh, sort of getting under my skin lately, and that's the way the Reds have conducted this rebuild, and it's time to take a really hard look at the way they've conducted it, and I don't think that the Reds come out looking very good. When when And the point I want to ask you about is the one that's just, it, I talked about it last night actually with Mo Egger on uh, the Extra Innings show on WLW, and I didn't mean to talk about it, and then I went off on a little bit of a rant, and so Mo's probably never going to have me back on. But uh, Brian Price was fired. And listen, Brian Price probably deserved to be fired. I wasn't happy that a guy loses his job. He's a, you know, got a family, and I, you know, it's not, I'm not happy about that stuff. That's why I don't call for people to get fired. But he didn't do a whole lot to deserve keeping his job. Let's say that. So he's fired. And Dick Williams, who I really like personally, and who after what I said last night, Gary said today, pro- probably will never talk to me again. But... Um, Dick Williams comes out and says, we're looking for more urgency from our players. That's the word he used a number of times, urgency. We just want to see more of a sense of urgency to win games. And I kept my tongue for a little while, and I'm just finally sick of it. That word urgency really irritates me because a front office that has an urgency about improving the product on the field, about winning more games, which is what he said the players need to have, a front office that has more urgency does not sign Giovanni Gallardo, does not sign Cliff Pennington, does not sign Phil Goslin, does not sign Kevin Quackenbush and put these guys on the opening day roster. A team that is serious about competing goes and gets real players. The front office had zero urgency in the offseason, and now Brian Price is the scapegoat because his players aren't playing with urgency? Can you explain that one to me, Doug? And am I getting entirely too worked up over it? Uh, I cannot explain it to you because I'm I'm pretty much in agreement. 
Uh, the, the only thing I disagree on, and it's, it's a very small point, is I don't have a problem with him signing guys like Gallardo and Quackenbush and all of that. Uh, the problem I had with it was giving them jobs out of spring training on the big league club. You yeah, know, if, sign these guys to league deals If you're going to send them to AAA, AA and let them prove that they're back and yes. that they aren't as bad as they were last year, which, for the record, they were terrible last year, <sighs> then right. that's fine. I mean, I understand taking a chance that a guy can be a bounce-back guy. On a minor but, league contract in spring, making him earn a job. That's right, fine. But, but nine innings in Arizona against who knows what kind of competition – that's not enough time to give someone a big league job. It's just not. When you've got that much information on guys, and there's plenty of information on guys like Giovanni Gallardo and Kevin Quackenbush and you know Phil Goslin, Clipping, we know what they are. Well, like I, I think that sometimes this this front office or manager, whatever it is, whoever's making the, these decisions, they get caught up more on the idea of what they think someone can be rather than what these guys are. How long have they wanted Billy Hamilton to be the, be something that he's not and that he's never been? Yeah. Hope since is not very, a strategy. Since for since the, since the very beginning. And it seems like every offseason they're like, oh, we're going to teach him how to bunt. You know, We're going to get him to hit the ball on the ground. Well, guys, this is like year 12. He's 27. Really he is what he is. Right. He's been in this organization since he was 18 years old, and he's still exactly the same guy that he was. But yes, he's improved because, I mean, obviously if he were the same guy as he was drafted, he would be hitting like 50. Right now, but like this, the skate, the same skill set is there, and it hasn't changed. I mean, I, I don't know what they were expecting to get out of some of these guys they gave to jobs to out of spring training. But I mean, what did Dusty used to say? You're going to be the guy on the back of your baseball yes, card, right? Exactly. And I, there were a lot of things Dusty said and did that I didn't really understand. I'm with him on that one. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's one thing when it's a guy who's 22 years old doesn't really have a back of the baseball card. These guys all did, and it wasn't pretty. And for some reason, the Reds had a different idea of what they were going to be, and I, I don't, I don't understand it. Like it, it just didn't make any sense. No, still doesn't make any sense. It, well, there, there are really two competing explanations here. Number one, the Reds were lying to all of us about taking a step forward this year that they fully expected another 90 loss season. They were just lying to us, and that's why they sat on their hands and did nothing in the offseason. That's one option. That, but they couldn't say that publicly because of, you know, they've got to try sell tickets. So one option is they knew this was going to be a disaster of a season. They weren't going to bring in any real players because they wanted another high draft pick and they wanted to delay it another year. Um, the other option is that they're incompetent. Those are the only two options that I can see. They, uh, they either I'll, lied I'll, to us or they're incompetent. I'll give you half a point on the second one, but I'll, I'll disagree slightly just because I'll say this much. I think that their plan, probably, what they were hoping for, and this goes this again goes back to the hope versus reality situation. The hope was that they'd have the exact same five starting man rotation they've got right now, rather than the one they had to start the season. That the bullpen wouldn't have been full of injuries, so they'd have roughly the bullpen they've got today, plus David Hernandez and minus one person, whoever that happens to be, instead of the bullpen they had to go with. Dylan Floro. And... Well, yeah, that he could be one of those guys. I mean, it could be him, Kevin Shack, or whatever. Um, Shackleford, and, yeah. and and then you know, Eugenio Suarez didn't get hurt, and you know, somehow the entire offense didn't all go into a slump at the same time. Outside of Jesse Winker, like I, I think that that probably was the plan. But the fact that they had that plan and had zero options as backup, other than the guys that they did bring in, which well, we we've seen how that all turned out because 
Well, again, back of the baseball card. Um, but they should know. I mean, it, it, right, and you're right, and that's what that's why I give them half. I give you half a point for incompetence right. because I I think that that that's a that's a that's a bad plan. Well, um, yes, if if everyone's healthy, you know, this team could probably sort of have a patchwork decent season with everybody like you're like you're talking about. But that's that never happens on any team ever, and the, it was such a razor thin margin of error. If anything happened, and even with with the guys you're talking about, you're still counting on Scooter Jeanette, who's the back of his baseball card's not good, except for one year. You're still it's counting not, on. It, it, his, uh, to be fair to Scooter Jeanette, it's not bad. It's just he he he's roughly an been an average right. player in his career before last year, and and I, I again, there's I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, he is what now, he is. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean personally, I, I'd have brought up Nick Senzel in a, in a situation that was different than so, the one that turned out. On so down, we're we're going to get to Nick Senzel uh, in a moment. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll leave my thoughts on that one for yeah. later. Go ahead. Uh, but you're still counting on Jeanette to play like he did last year. Parazza to be in something other than what he's been. Billy Hamilton to be something other than what he's been. And and there's literally if any of those don't happen, we see a team that's five and nineteen or five and twenty or whatever they are now. Um, you know because they didn't sign any more pitchers or trade for any more pitchers. They didn't acquire any more pitchers. They didn't get any other shortstop. I wanted to go out and get a starting shortstop. I don't think it's time to give up on Parazza yet necessarily, but I wanted to go get a shortstop. If you get a shortstop, you can have Hamilton in center field. If you get a shortstop, they can hit. Not that those are you know hang, growing on trees, but get another starter. Get a shortstop. Get another reliever so you don't have to have Quackenbush or Dylan Floro. Uh, get those guys in the off season. You you know there's not there was nothing stopping the Reds from trying to acquire players. And maybe they did try. We don't know. But there's you know uh, they made it pretty clear that eh, we're not going to do a whole lot of spending. We're going to get a reliever or two, and that's it. And so don't tell me there's supposed to be urgency. Is all I'm saying. Don't I I I agree. And I mean I, you know as as the the minor league guy, I'll say this much. I can't believe they haven't used some of their prospects to trade for players. I'm not saying you got to trade Nick Senzel or anything like that, but this yes. this is a this is a deep farm system. There are legitimate pieces that could be traded in deals to get actual quality big league players to help the team right now. And I I, I don't understand if they're just trying. I don't I don't I don't get the idea to just hold on to everybody. Like that's what they've it, done. It, and it, as much as I hate to say it, they're not all going to work out. It just does not work that way. This isn't. You know, the NBA or NFL where, you know, you draft a guy in the first round and, you know, they, they step up and start playing right away. That doesn't happen in baseball. And it, you, it just seems that they have this idea that everybody's going to work out. And I don't know. I, I, it, it just seems like a bad plan to me. It, 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 really it goes does. back to what you said a moment ago. Hope is not a strategy. I hope they'll – you know, I hope Billy Hamilton is my favorite player. I hope he becomes better. But you know, if I'm in the decision-making capacity, you got to look at what he's done and, and be reasonable about, about about what you can expect. Don't hope he's going to improve. I can hope. I'm just some idiot out here talking into a microphone and writing things uh, in digital pixels on the interwebs. Uh, you know, the front office of this team can't rely on hope, and they have. They really have. There's also we talk about relievers. There's one guy they let go that I think could have been a fantastic reliever. Do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, I do not. Well, this guy, I don't know why. The Reds had him last year, and he pitched in the big leagues last year, and I don't know why they let this guy go. You'll probably remember his name when I say it. Luis Alberto Bornilla. 
Yeah, I don't remember such a player. Oh, my goodness, Doug. Let me say his name again. Maybe you'll remember when I say it this time. Liz Alberto Bornia. Oh, that that guy. Yeah, I remember him. Um, no, I don't think they made the, r- the wrong move on that one. Yeah, you're probably right, but it's fun to say his name. So, okay. So, the I don't know whether – actually, I think I do know. Uh, if I had to – I said earlier, it's either they were lying to us or they're incompetent. I think the truth of the matter is it's way more on the side of they were lying to us or they just didn't want to admit publicly. And I can't say I blame them. If I wanted to tank again, I don't want to tell the ticket paying, ticket buying public. You know, I can't say that that's necessarily a bad strategy from their perspective. But I think they were pretending like this was the year that we're really expecting significant progress. Not playoffs, but significant progress. And I don't think the front office had any interest whatsoever in taking that step. And I'm going to tell you why I think that. It's not just the signings of Gallardo and and, and Pennington and Goslin, okay? That's that's one indication that they really don't care. Um, but with you know with with Goslin, for example, the 25th guy on the roster, you know, you're going to have guys like that. I, it really didn't become clear to me because I'm really not very smart. It didn't become clear to me what was going on until their extended refusal to call Nick Senzel up to the big leagues. Now they waited past the date when they could get that extra year of control. And I know you and I have a little, not really a disagreement, but it's a little bit of a disagreement about uh, about this. But but I don't know that we disagree with this part of it, which is that if they were serious about putting the best team on the field this year and really making a push to be more competitive, if they were serious about urgency, which is the word they used, then Nick Senzel is up here when Suarez gets hurt because that's a perfect opportunity to get this guy some low pressure at bats against big league hitters, and he's clearly, to me, one of the best 25 guys available for the major league roster. And when they didn't do that, to me that said they had no interest in any taking any step forward this year, and there is no urgency whatsoever. Now, what do you think? Uh, I 100% agree with you. If the idea was that you know we're going to wait those 10 days no matter what, Cool. I get it. You want that extra seventh year. I hate it for Senzel. I, I agree. I think that it's a ridiculous rule. It screws yes. the players. But I get I it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But it makes sense for the Reds to use it. I don't fault the front office for that. But they didn't call him up on that 11th day. <laughs> and at that point in the season, it was not a lost season yet. It was it was a tough start, but it was not lost. If they'd have called him up on that day, I don't, I don't know how much of a difference it would have made, but it would have made some sort of difference. Because Nick Senzel can play. Well, I mean, he, it would have made a difference to me just in terms of we're serious about trying to win, whether he helped him or not. But he can play. You're right. I mean, he clearly, if if A. Eugenio Suarez is the best option at third base in the organization, Nick Senzel is easily, without question, the second best option. It's not even close. And they 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 didn't make that move. And, I mean, you're right. If If you're going to use the word urgency and then you don't make that move, you're lying about how urgent things yeah. really are for you. It, it's absolutely not urgent because what you do is you sit around and watch Cliff Pennington and Phil Goslin play third, which um, boggles my mind in a completely <laughs> different way. Yeah. But yes. Cliff Pennington hit 138. Phil Goslin 130 so far this year. I'm, I'm, I'm citing batting average. Doug, what do you well, think about that? I mean, when you're talking 138, 130, you can use whatever stat you want. It, it's, it's not good. Yeah, it's so low. I was, you know, I was, I wanted to cite that because it was so low. Yeah, that's uh, 
and, and we can argue about it at this point, now that Suarez is back, whether it makes sense to let him stay down for that past the Super 2 deadline and save him some money on the back end. And, and there are good arguments. You and I have had that discussion. There are good arguments for that. I, I see that. But to me, just in my in my small, tiny brain here, I just can't get around the fact that the starting third baseman got hurt. They've got one of the best prospects in all of baseball in AAA, 24 years old, 22 years old, excuse me, 22 years old, and by all accounts, ready, or at least in the neighborhood. It's hard to say when someone's really ready, but in the neighborhood, and when you're, and, and he's a third baseman. I mean, I'll, I'll say it right now. He's ready. I, I'll, I'll put my reputation on the line for that one. Nick Senzel is ready right now. I do believe that I, you bring Senzel up tomorrow. He could play in the big leagues and not, never go back down. Yeah, I, I don't care what his numbers say in AAA right now. He's ready. Yeah, 15 period. games or something. Yeah. So it really – I do have a very high opinion of Dick Williams. It sounds like I'm really critical of him because I do – I think he's the by far the most open-minded general manager the Reds have uh, ever had in this uh, sort of analytical era. I think he's smart. I think he went to University of Virginia, so you know he's brilliant. But – he comes out and I feel like he's looking me in the eye and say, using this word urgency. And then we watch Cliff Pennington start at third base. And I just, I'm going to be harping on this all season, I'm afraid. Because I, I think you're right. Uh, you said it on, on Twitter and, and other places. Sinzel's probably not coming up until after that, whenever the Super 2. And I'll let you explain the Super 2. But he's probably not. But. At this point, nothing they do with with Sinzel is going to make me anything more than cynical, because that's what I am at this point. I'm cynical about it. Yeah, I I I get it. I I really do. And I'll I'll be honest. At this point, it makes more sense for the Reds to not call him up. As I said, they should have called him up on that eleventh day, because I think that it would have made a difference then. That the season wasn't completely lost at that point, it, and it is now. I mean, they'd have to be on. They'd have to go on a run where they'd be, I don't know, a hundred win team, kind of on pace to kind of get back in even even into a wild card discussion at this point that's how that's how far they've set themselves behind um but with the super two you know the date usually falls it, it's a moving date because it all depends on who else has been called up in the service time of players in that first year um and so you, it, it's not a set date every year but it almost always falls between may 20th and june 1st and what, but what it means is they're going to be able to pay him less or they're going to spend less money on him in the long run yeah it, it, it'll save him five to seven million dollars if he turns out to be a pretty pretty good player in the long run which uh, to me, as a fan, I do not care that it's going to save you five to seven million dollars in four years, in five years, in six years. Like I, I don't care. It, I, that is that's such an insignificant amount of money for a team worth a billion dollars that it it kind of hurts my brain to think that they're making that decision based around that. Especially but when the hope the hope is that he's going to be good enough that they're going to try to sign him way beyond into that to way more than five to seven million dollars. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's. I mean, look at what they did with Suarez. I mean, they, they locked him up. And why did they do that? Because he was good at a young age. I, I mean, you're, you're not, you're not going to do that to somebody who's not good. And if, and if for whatever reason Nixon Zell turns out to not be what you thought, then you're not, you're not saving any money in the long run anyways. Right. That's right. And if, and, and if he is, is going to be as good as you think he is, well, then he's worth every penny you're paying him times five. So I, what's point. what's what's the issue? I mean, it's it's just such an insignificant amount of money that I don't know. It. Well, you're you're right about probably financially it makes sense at this point since they didn't call him up before. 
it probably makes sense to keep him down. But I still had this sort of lingering thing like you're, you know, um, there are lots of like sort of vulgar euphemisms that I keep coming to mind that I can't use on a family podcast about uh, looking at me, you know, uh, doing one thing and, and telling me you're doing another. <laughs> I, I think I know what you're saying there. <laughs> but Something about it's raining? Yes, yes, exactly. That one, got and, it. And so don't tell me there's urgency and then leave him down. He... And so, yes, they're probably going to wait until that deadline, and they're going to say, well, it's because he needs... Now, they've, they've already said it. Dick Williams said on one of the... I think it was the, it was on Fox Sports Ohio during the Reds game that, you know, they had been watching Nick Senzel and AAA, and he was doing things that they just, you know, you can't do those at the major league level. Mind you, Kevin Quackenbush pitched in that same game. So, I mean, they're clearly playing this game of, we can't tell you the real reason why we're doing this, because then we'll get in trouble and we won't be able to do it and we'll have to pay him anyways. Yeah. But, again, it, it, was, it was kind of insulting to my intelligence when he said that because I know what you're saying, but you just can't say it. So just don't say it. And the thing is, they probably could have kept fooling me if Suarez hadn't gotten hurt because I could probably buy if they said, well, he needs some more time working at second base. He's not played second base as a professional. And, you know, I could buy that because they're, you know, trying to work him in a new position. But when there became an opportunity to get him up here at the position he's been playing his entire professional career and refused to do it, um, I'm cynical about it. I, I don't believe what they say, and I don't expect them to always tell the truth because it's a big company and PR-wise, you, you got to try to sell tickets and you can't always tell the truth. But, hey, don't look me in the eye and tell me something that we both know is a lie. And that's, uh, you know, that that's what happened. So oh, I'm, I'm upset about Nick. <laughs> I mean, I'm uh, Nick Senzel. Here's what I was going to say earlier. Doug, you and Jason Linden, who's on the podcast with me frequently, and uh, and me. There are probably not three more sort of optimistic and uh, I don't know if optimistic is, but open minded, uh, maybe. But, op, you know, Reds fans around in, in terms of I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, usually if it makes sense what they're doing. And this Nick Senzel nonsense has absolutely – that combined with what we just saw against the Braves, when the Braves have a 20-year-old and a 21-year-old top prospect, and there's a 24-year-old as well, uh, in their starting lineup. And the Reds, you know, had Cliff Pennington and Phil Goslin playing at the same time at one point. Hmm. And they've been rebuilding for approximately the same number of years, the Braves and Reds. I have – at this point, almost lost faith that this rebuild is going to end up in anything other than well, not disaster. That'll be a little better ultimately, but I have lost a lot of hope in sort of, I guess, the ceiling of the rebuild. And when they've lost me, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much worse it can get. Does that make sense? I- yeah, and I, I mean, I don't know how much worse it could really, like, realistically, how much worse could it get. Have you seen the crowds at Great American Ballpark on TV? I have not, because there aren't any. Oh, I, I see what you did there. <laughs> I mean, they, they had one shot the other day, and I mentioned it on Twitter. I mean, it was a, it was a center field wide shot. I mean, you could see the upper deck, the middle section, the lower level, pretty much from like the end of each dugout all the way across. The, there were hundreds of people there, yeah. hundreds. It was, I mean, I, I understand that the weather hasn't been great, but if they, Still. I mean, you know, they, they announce paid attendance. They don't announce who walked through the gates. If they were averaging 
5,000 fans per game over the past couple of days, I'd be shocked. It, it has been absolutely a wasteland in the stands at Great American Ballpark. And I don't blame fans for not showing up. No, I, 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 I get it. I really do get it. I kind of hope it stays that way the rest of the season to just send a message. Yeah, I mean, if if you're not going to show something to the fans that you care, and I, 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 I've made this argument earlier in the season about keeping Brian Price along, that you need to do something to show the fans that you do care. And I think that, that, I think that was a step in the right direction. Um, but, you know, fixing the product on the field also needs to be, like, something needs to happen there, too, to show that they care. And, and right now, I, I'm not sure that that's happening. And at the same time, and to be fair, I don't know other than calling up Nick Senzel if there is anything you can do. It, there aren't teams out there trading difference-making players right now. Like, the- unless you just completely overpay for them. Yeah, if you send Taylor Trammell, Hunter Green, and Nick Senzel off to somebody, yeah, they'll trade you a difference-maker. But you'd have to; it would have to be that kind of deal, probably, in order for the Reds to acquire somebody of quality right now. Because teams just don't trade guys in April for no reason. Yeah, but, okay. That's tr- that's absolutely true as far as it goes. But if they'd done a little bit of that work in the off season instead of doing well, then nothing, we, we would yeah we wouldn't be having this conversation. It'd be very different. And if they if they had brought Nixon Zell up, then I think that even if they were losing, they I don't think they'd be losing to the extent they are now. But even if they were losing, there's a little bit more sense of excitement. Hey, Senzel's here. You know, we really are going to get ready to turn the corner. You know, they actually uh, acquired some new guys in the off season that are decent. You know, or a new guy. And, uh, you know, we got guys like Senzel and Tyler Malley and, you know, Sal Romano, Luis Castillo. You can start talking about a youth movement and be serious about it. But fans are dumb, but they're not stupid. And when Nick Senzel didn't come up and guys like me and you are like, what is going on? What's the average guy supposed to think who thinks that the rebuild's a joke anyway because he wants the rest to try to spend all kinds of money every day, every year? But, you know... <sighs> I just I think they've screwed the PR side of it up, but I think I don't know if they've screwed up the rebuild side of it yet. But I have decided that I can't, in good conscience, give them the benefit of the doubt anymore. And maybe that's cynical, and maybe I shouldn't have said it on WLW last night. But here we are. Well, I'll be I'll be honest. You're not the first person to say that on WLW. I've I've heard <laughs> Lance McAllister say it. Uh, I've heard Mo say something very similar to that. So you definitely are not alone in those thoughts and broadcasting them for, I don't know, 10, 10 states wide from, from downtown Cincinnati where they broadcast from. But me, but, uh, me and you and you know Wick Terrell from uh, Red Reporter is another guy that I, I think is really sort of level-headed. He's running Red Reporter now, another great uh, Reds blog. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of guys saying, uh-oh, what's going on here? And where there's smoke, there's fire, I guess. Yeah, it they they need to do something, and it's it's not good. It, it it really is not good in Cincinnati Reds land right now. I I think that it it's tough for anybody to look at this and say I've got a little bit of hope right now. Now I I I'm with you that I I don't want to say that they've botched the rebuild at this point. I think that the pieces are still there for the yeah. most part. There's a decent core but, still, but you know even even somebody like me who I I feel that. Generally speaking, I probably have more knowledge about the farm system than anybody else listening. Yeah. Uh, unless you happen to work in, you know, player development for the Reds, in which case, what's up? Um, <laughs> yeah, g- give me a call. All right. Yeah, you, you know where to find me. I'm sure you see me around a lot. But um, it, the Reds, you know, they, they, they keep saying that, you know, that 
you know, we're following this plan. You know, the Astros did this, the Cubs did this, you know, the Royals did this a couple years ago. All of those teams eventually got to a point where they started looking outside of the organization for help. You have to. And, I mean, outside of Luis Castillo, have they really done that in the past couple of years? No. At all? No, not at all. And, and I mean, kudos to the Reds for getting Luis Castillo. But I don't think anybody expected that move to turn out the way that it did. No, I mean, it, everyone knew when it happened, I think, except for the Marlins, that that was a good deal for the Reds. I think everyone's sort of like, oh, yeah, that's a good deal. But no one knew that it was going to be this good. Right. I, You know, but the, the scouting reports on Luis Castillo when the Reds acquired him, and to be fair, the Reds' internal scouting reports may have been different. But pretty much all of the national scouting reports from, you know, Baseball America, Keith Law, Jonathan Mayo, uh, you know, all, all of those guys were basically like, he's probably a reliever. You know, he throws really hard. And he's got a good slider, but he doesn't have a change-up. And he's going to be 24 years old, and he's never pitched above A-ball. Like, right. that that was the scouting report on him. But and, he was 23 with a live arm, which made him, uh, you know, there's more of a chance he's going to contribute to the next good Reds team than Dan Straley was. Absolutely. And, and to be fair, like, most people thought that it was a good deal for the Reds to capitalize yeah. on Dan Straley for that. Not a great but, deal, as it's turned out to be, but a good but, deal. But nobody thought, hey, Luis Castillo can be a difference-making starting pitcher much less be one, you know, three months into the season last year. Like, nobody saw that coming. And if the Reds did, then kudos on them. But they were probably the only ones that saw that coming because nobody else that I talked to saw it that way. And But other than that, they've they, not, you're right, they've not gone outside the organization at all, and they steadfastly refused to this past offseason. I mean, just just not. I mean, it's not just this past off season. Well, off season, off season before that. But this and, is the one year that I thought they were really going to try to get a little bit better. That's yeah, and, why yeah, I'm and frustrated. You're, and you're right. I, I feel like they did try and sell that too. Yes. They, they, they they did try and sell that to us as fans that you know this year was going to be different. This was going to be the year that you know they they took that step forward. Now they never really specified what that meant. You know, is that does that mean you're going to win 77 games? You're going to be over 500? Like, there's a there's a wide variety of options that they could have been stating that we just don't know about. But turning the corner is the way they put it. Turning yeah. the corner, the the rebuild is turning the corner. No, 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 it, it has not. It, it definitely hasn't at this point. It's gone straight off a cliff. In terms of on field performance in the big leagues. Cliff Pennington? It, it went straight off the Cliff Pennington? Oh, you went there. I love you for it. Um, oh, man. We had lots of things we wanted to get into, and I'm not sure that uh, any of that's going to happen at this point because we've gone uh, we've gone off the rails just like this rebuild may have gone off the rails. Um, I, want but to I, feel, I, feel, I feel a lot better about our conversation uh, than I feel about the, the rebuild and how it's been going so far. Yeah, no so doubt about it, it. At least there's that. I'm having a lot more fun talking to you than I am watching this mess that the Reds keep putting onto the field every day. Um, can I go back to Castillo for just a moment? Yeah, go for it. Because uh, since we're talking about the Major League crew, um, this starting pitching has not been good at all, if you look at the numbers. But I'm really encouraged by Castillo and Molly and Sal Romano. Um, and Castillo, yes, is ERA 6.51. Yes, he's not been good. But you know, I dug a little bit into for a piece I did it for Cincinnati Magazine just today. Uh, I, I dug into a little bit into Castillo's year and what's going wrong with him, and and I still wonder his fastball. He's not striking as many people out and not getting as many whiffs with his fastball, and that's going to be a big problem if he can't uh, do that. But he's really 
th- working really hard on it, that sinker and the changeup, throwing way more of them. And his sinker and changeup are among the best in all of baseball right now. They're like top five in all of baseball, both pitches. Top top eight, I think, maybe with his sinker. But number two in the National League uh, in terms of uh, how effective it's been at getting swings and misses. Um, and so if he can get his fastball back to what it was last year, which was an elite fastball, I'm still encouraged. I still feel like Castillo can be an ace. And so I'm concerned. I'm encouraged by him and Mally and Romano. So again, that sort of core is there on this rebuild. They've not performed yet this year, but I think they could have sold it a little bit better. I don't know. I'm repeating myself and I'm just, I want to beat my head against the wall, Doug Gray, but I like Castillo still is what I'm saying. He's been bad so far this year, but I love Luis Castillo still. Yeah. I've, of all the things to be worried about on this Reds team, Luis Castillo is pretty far down that list for me too. And how about Tyler Malley? Yeah, he's. Uh, it, I, I believe Joel Luckup. I know. I know it was him, but he tweeted out something the other day that like his his ERA in the last inning of work, it's astronomical. But before that, he's pitched really, really well. And we're talking about a guy who's twenty three years old. I, I wish I had Joel's tweet off the top of my head right now, but I, I don't remember the exact numbers. I wish you but, would quit talking about Joel Lookup on this podcast. He is my arch nemesis. He yeah, well, and Wayne Krenchicki. Yeah, well, since you won't let me talk about that other guy who won't be named because, well, yeah, you won't let me talk about him, that's true. I'm going to keep talking about my buddy Joel. Uh, <laughs> There's someone that, that Doug is banned from talking about on the podcast. You all can speculate at your uh, to your wildest extent. Um, you're right the, uh, about Mally. He's 23 year, three years old. You'd expect him maybe to have trouble the third time through the lineup. Most pitchers do. But, boy, he's been good before that, hasn't he? He has. And I think that, you know, maybe maybe he'll he'll learn from that. And it, it could be something as simple as just changing up the way that he he pitches the guys that third time through the lineup. Yeah. That he just doesn't have experience doing against major leaguers yet because, again, he's 23 years old. He entered the season with four big league starts under his belt. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just a thing that you're going to have to figure out. And, and if he can't figure that out, well, then it's on the Reds to figure out that, you know, hey, after you get through the the lineup for two times, we got to go to the bullpen now. Yeah. And we're, and we're seeing a lot of teams do that with a lot of pitchers these days. If you're not going to be Clayton Kershaw, they're going to they're cut you off at, at two times through the lineup unless you're just really, really good that day. Yeah, very Which, few pitchers can consistently get through a lineup three times. Yeah. And, and I think that we're we're seeing baseball move more towards, mm-hmm. you know, lengthy bull or like lengthy bullpens, and you know, getting three four relievers out there that can go over an inning a time. Yeah. And I think I think the Reds are setting up their bullpen to try and be that way too. Um, but I, I think for right now, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't mess with Tyler Malley in terms of you know pulling him before the third time through the lineup because he does need to learn, and the Reds also need to learn if he can make that adjustment or not. Yeah. I you know I'd get Amir Garrett in the rotation over Brandon Finnegan probably at this point although Finnegan pitched uh, fairly well yesterday but uh, otherwise you know they've not performed particularly well yet but the young guys that are in the rotation I'm encouraged so again I think you can sell this get Senzel up here you know Blandino give <laughs> Blandino's look good Alex Blandino you know no I don't really ever expect him to be more than a than a sort of bench utility guy in the big leagues but I think there's a there is a sort of he could sneak in and become a starter in the big leagues because he can't hit a little bit, and his glove is not awful. He's not going to be a, a shortstop in the big leagues, but I could see him being a Todd Frazier type, late start, but being a, a you know a decent starter in the big leagues. So, um, which is another reason why it was frustrating. He was sitting on the bench behind Cliff Pennington for so long. But uh, I don't know. I think that you can make a case that you're going for the youth movement and you're really trying to get better if you bring all those good young guys up. 
Uh, Tanner Rainey, a reliever. Yes, he was awful when he was here. But I don't know. I, you know I'd rather see him than Giovanni Gallardo. He has a chance of being something. Yeah, I I wouldn't have brought him up um, just because I would have gone with Jimmy Herget. If you're going to make a 40-man yes, roster Herget, move, absolutely. That, that, that move didn't make much sense to me. Um, but, yeah, now, now I'm just kind of I'm nitpicking over you know who I should who I would have called up either one was a better option in my opinion than Gallardo was but the point is yeah. though that you you've got young guys why aren't we going with the young guys and uh if you're if PR is what you're worried about I think you make that case a lot easier and I also think there's a pretty good chance that some of these young guys like Herget are going to be better because we knew that Gallardo is going to be garbage we had a pretty good idea that Blandino would do better than Pennington if he wasn't well then you can still make the case that we're trying to you know it's a youth movement yeah, I don't know. My, I, I've said this before, and I, I, I don't want to harp on the front office too much, um, but I, I really do wonder how risk-averse this front office is. Because it just seems time after time too after time after time after time that they're scared to death to let young players play over like just the unknown, because you don't know what they're going to be, over proven bad options. Yeah, even Jesse Winker, who is 24 now, but... Um did well last year in the big leagues, but he still has fewer at bats than you know Adam Duvall. Come on, you gotta you gotta give these guys some playing time at some point. I think risk averse is the right way to put it, Doug. Yeah, I, I just I, I don't I don't get it sometimes, and yeah. I don't know. I, I again I, I feel like I'm gonna start repeating myself from the conversation we had earlier, but I, I just thought that was uh, a valid point that needed to be brought back up. Yeah, probably time to stick a nail in the, the discussion of the rebuild. We'd intended to do a little bit of talk about the minor leagues because obviously you pay a lot of attention to the minor leagues. Is there anyone in particular, you know, we don't have much time here, but before we go, anyone in particular you want to mention uh, the minor leagues have been going for how long now? Three weeks? Yeah. Um, um, anyone I, in particular I, you think the Reds fans need to be keeping an eye on? I mean, I'm sure that most of you guys have heard of him before, but Tyler Stevens is out to a great start down in Daytona. <sighs> Really uh, he, excited about that. He's currently hitting 343. He's slugging 522. He's got eight walks, 10 strikeouts in 18 games, making contact, drawing walks, showing power. He's healthy again. That's that's the biggest key. Is he's unfortunately he's lost. Key. Yeah, he's unfortunately lost basically a season and a half over the last two years uh, to injury. Um, I mean, he's still just 21 years old. Got all the tools in the world. So it's it's very good to see him. One, being healthy, but two, absolutely performing. And for those of you who don't know, Tyler Stevenson, of course, 21, as Doug said, still just 21. But he was the Reds' first-round draft pick back in uh, 2015. And a catcher, and just when he's been healthy, certainly the last couple of years, he has been nothing short of brilliant, has he? I mean, it's it's all about health with that guy. If he's healthy, this guy's going to be a big leaguer, in my opinion. You watch him more than I do, but I watch him some yeah, this year. Yeah, no, I, I really like what I see with Stevenson. I'll throw one last name out there. Great story. Mitch Nay. The Reds picked him up in the AAA version of the Rule 5 draft, which basically you can protect 78 players between your Major League roster and your AAA roster. He's also that, a Daytona, right? And he's also a Daytona. And the Reds picked him up, and he basically he missed two of the last three seasons. He had a staph infection in his knee, required three surgeries. I mean, he basically Ooh. didn't play for two years. Just an absolute mess. Former first-round pick uh, of the Blue Jays. They, they've got him in Daytona right now. He's hitting 342 and slugging 630. Um, <laughs> I'll get it done. I mean, he's he's a he's a big guy, he's, and I mean that in a good way. He's, he's put together. He's a big, strong guy. Um, but, I mean, he's showing power that he's never shown before. 
and you know the scouts had always said you know the power's going to come when he when he matures and then unfortunately by the time he got to that age where guys start hitting for power he missed two straight seasons uh shrewd pickup by the reds i really liked it and i mean he's he's crushing the ball right now old for that level but there's a reason that he's old for that level yeah and i and i don't know if it's going to continue but it's been it's been fun to see so far and and it's not like he's come out of nowhere i mean again former first round draft pick you know he he he's always had the tools. It was just he hadn't put them together yet. So if, if you're if you're looking for somebody to really follow along that you don't know about right now, that's the guy, Mitch Nay. He's in Daytona. Uh, you mentioned two guys for Daytona, and neither of them are my favorite player for Daytona. A little disappointed you haven't mentioned my favorite player, Doug Gray uh, of RedMatterLeagues.com. So Sheldon, their mascot is not a player, even though he did just put up a pro a dating profile on Twitter. If you haven't seen that, you should check it out. It's pretty funny. Daytona, actually, they're very good at Twitter. They're good with the social media and the promotions and everything. That's a really good organization. That's the Reds' high A team, for those of you that don't know. But, no, that's I'm not, not who I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the – if I were going to talk about mascots, we'd talk about Gapper. If you – oh, no, no. We're, we're going to have to end this conversation right now because I'm going to say some really bad things about Gapper. I agree. Um, no, my favorite player, he's a first baseman. In Daytona? In Daytona. Bruce Yari? No, 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 no. Then I don't know who we're talking about. Um, he may be playing other positions. I don't know down there, but uh, he's listed as a first baseman. It's Ibandel Isabel. Ah, uh, the new guy. Yeah, he's he's pretty much DH'd since he got there. Ah, but there you go. Yeah. What's his name? <laughs> I'll let you say it. You say it much better than I do. Ibandel Isabel. Yeah, he's, he's, he's not had a bad start so far. <laughs> He's yeah, the next Luis Alberto Bonilla. Yeah, well, he, he hits better than Luis Alberto Bonilla does. I'll, I'll give him that. Doug, the Reds are awful. I've got to have some fun when I, where I can find it. All right, I'll let you. I'll let you have it. <laughs> All even right. though, even though you weren't having fun with my Sheldon the mascot. Fun, so. <laughs> yeah, because for some reason you talk, start talking mascots, you, I, Gapper comes into my head and it just makes me mad. Oh, okay, I get it. Gapper's the worst. He really is. I don't understand it. But. Yeah, I don't. All I'm right, not, I'm not, I'm not a six-year-old kid, so what, it doesn't really matter to me. Well, you're close. Yeah, that's true. All right, Doug, very quickly, 20 seconds. Anyone else in the minor leagues that uh, people need to be watching that you can think of? Are you ready to just call this one quits? Um, we'll call it quits. I, I, I don't want to. I, I need more time than that to talk about anybody. So. Sounds good. Yeah, you're long-winded, and we didn't get to do our movie reviews. We'll have to save that for next time. Um. Doug Gray's at RedsMinorLeagues.com. You can read uh, his work there every single day. He's also at Red Lake Nation uh, once a week. And uh, But read everything he's doing. He's doing great work over there at RedsMinorLeagues.com. Follow him on Twitter at DougDirt24. You can follow me at Red Leg Nation on Twitter and at, well, that's Red Leg Nations, but also at DotsonC. I do sometimes handle the Red Leg Nation account. Um, at Red Leg Nation, at DotsonC, RedLegNation.com, every single day where we're talking about the Reds. For better or for worse, usually for worse. You can subscribe to the podcast, and I do thank everyone for downloading and listening to the podcast. Again, uh, it blows my mind. You know, we got this book, The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the Cincinnati Reds, that I have out now that you need to all go buy. But uh, the passion that this Reds fan base has shown throughout the process of, of you know, writing this book and the response to it. And then the passion with the podcast, people, the subscriber numbers keep going up despite how awful the team is. And it's something that just continually blows me away how passionate you guys are. And I really appreciate it. Subscribe to us, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. We're there. Leave us a rating and review if you can, if it's a good review. If it's not, keep your mouth shut. Nobody wants to hear it. 
Doug, thanks for joining me again, buddy. Not a problem. It's always fun. It is always fun, and tonight was no exception. For Doug Gray, this is Chad Dawson saying so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.